All right, so guys, I don't know if you noticed, but um, it seemed to me that God kind of did a work last night. Would you agree? Yeah. Um, and I want to tell you that there is more that he wants to do today. There is more. You might be like, oh my gosh, last night was so awesome. I felt the Lord moving in my life. I want to challenge you. Keep your eyes and your ears open today to which God would still speak to you. There's more that he wants to speak. So you're open to Daniel chapter 3, yes? All right. Today's message is going to be holding fast when no one else does. Holding fast when no one else does. All right. And before we jump into things, why don't we pray? Father, we come before you right now in this time, Lord, and our hearts are before you. God, our, we, our desire is to, to hear straight from your word today. Lord, as our theme is to hold fast, Lord, we hold fast unto you. God, we want to cling to you and your word, Lord, and we want to declare to you now that we are ready to learn, and God, would you just minister during this time in Jesus' name, amen. So holding fast when no one else does. I want to revisit that term, hold fast. You guys remember kind of what it means? It's that nautical term, the reason why there's anchors on your jackets and on your notebooks and so on and so forth is because it is a nautical term, meaning it's a sailing term. And Pastor Joel mentioned last night about how it was a term that when they were on rough seas out in the middle of the ocean, I don't know if you guys have ever been like on a boat uh, before where the ocean is just like raging or even lakes sometimes, monsoons will happen. But this term would be yelled out from someone on the boat. They would say, they would say it in Dutch, and I like saying the Dutch version. You guys should try it with me after I say it. But they would say, Hold vast, hold vast. Try it, give it a shot. It's very fun to say. I enjoy saying it that way over hold fast. So uh, maybe we should have named the camp Hold vast, but maybe next time. But anyway, they would yell this from the ship to the other sailors. And what it meant, be reminded, is that you got to hold on to something. And you got to hold on to it for your dear, your dear life. Because what could happen? A big wave hits, and where could you go? You could go overboard. You could go yeah, that too. You would eventually probably end up in heaven if you did indeed go overboard. Um, I wanted to show you guys what comes to my mind when I think about holding fast. Uh, oh, I forgot to put that up. See, Kalei, I'm already. If you guys are taking notes, I'm really bad with this clicker stuff. So um, I'm just actually just going to rely on you, Kalei, because I already, already missed it. But go ahead and just write down uh, those definitions if you are indeed taking notes. And by the way, with the note taking, you guys, uh, when I walk around sometimes, I see so much doodling and so little notes. Let's flip that to where it's more notes than doodles. It's okay to doodle, right? If you're taking notes and doodling, I get it. Uh, keeping the mind engaged. But if all you're doing is doodling, remember those notebooks are for you to be taking notes during this time. So we talked about how hold fast, it's the idea of holding tight. The Bible also uses the words cling to. You ever heard the word cling? It means you are holding on with the intention of not letting go. And we talked about how it was used for sailors when they were on the raging sea, they would hold tightly to whatever, whatever honestly was secure and sturdy on the boat, whether it be ropes, whether it be, uh, you know, a pole going up the, the ship, it could have been anything. It just means to hold tight. So what I was saying a second ago is what comes to my mind when I think of hold fast, let's go to the next slide. I think of this. You see this guy right here, this little guy on this roller coaster? I don't know how you guys do with roller coasters. Um, I, here's the thing about me. I really love roller coasters but I always feel sick afterwards, and so I can't ride too many. Uh, but when I, when I think of hold fast, you guys, look at this guy. He is holding on to probably his mom's hand, like, and the, the arm bar right there, like, for dear life. This kid, he, he doesn't realize that he's probably not going to fall out of the roller coaster because, you know, they secure them pretty tightly. But in his mind, he could go overboard, and he is holding fast to both his mom and that arm bar. This is the idea of holding fast. But I want to ask you guys, I want to ask you guys, what do you think we are to hold fast to? We are to hold fast to the Lord 
and his commandments is what the Bible says. To hold fast to the Lord and his commandments. The Bible says way back in Deuteronomy, early on in Israel's history, it says, for if you carefully keep all these commandments, which I have commanded to you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to hold fast to him. Practically speaking, you guys, holding fast to the Lord is to totally commit yourself to him and obeying what he says. And for many of you, this camp could be that moment in your life when you totally commit. You know, I think it would be fair to say that some of you are partially committed, right? But this camp, this, this time that we have together, we, we don't even have that much more time. We're going home uh, in like less than 24 hours. But today, if it didn't happen last night, could be that moment where you totally commit to the Lord to hold fast to him. So before we jump into Daniel 3, I want to talk just a little bit of where we're at in Daniel, because Daniel chapter 2 happened in the timeline of things. You guys learned uh, from Pastor David uh, last night about the early stages of Daniel and how he made that commitment to hold fast and not to defile himself. Well, uh, the, the wise men, the king Nebuchadnezzar, he chose these wise men, Pastor David talked about that, Daniel was one of them, but also there were these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they also made the decision to hold fast and to not defile themselves with the king's delicacies. So in chapter two, we learn that the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, he has this like really crazy dream. And this dream like freaked him out so, so bad that he's like, this guy's, well, what you need to know about King Nebuchadnezzar is this guy is like a paranoid dude. Like he is just all over the place mentally. He's just, you read about him and you're like, what is going on with this guy? And he's mostly just on a power trip, but he has this dream and it troubles him so much, the Bible says. And so he goes to the wise men, he goes to the Chaldeans, he goes to all these guys and he's like, this is what he asks. This is how weird this guy is. He says, you need to tell me what my dream means. And they're like, okay, tell us the dream. We'll, we'll give you the interpretation. He's like, no, you need to tell me the dream too. You need to tell me what my dream was, and you need to tell me what the interpretation was. And they're like, king, what you're asking is an impossible thing. And so what he does, this guy is psycho. He goes around, and he actually has the wise men begin to be killed. He literally he is so mad at these people that they can't tell him the dream that he hasn't even told them. And so he's like, you know what, you're all dead. So he goes around, starts killing them. Daniel actually goes to the king and he says, king, give me a little bit of time. This is essentially what he asked him. He says, just give me some time so that me, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego can all inquire to God, to pray to God for the dream and its interpretation. And the king, you know, grants that request. And then we learn that the dream and the interpretation are given to Daniel in a vision that night. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar kind of seems to respond in a, a better way than he has in the past. He, he actually praises the God of Daniel for the dream and its interpretation, but he actually misses the entire point of the dream, which was that he is prideful and that his kingdom will come to an end. And so he, he responds, he's like, Daniel, I'm going to give you a promotion. And so Daniel basically goes like to the top of the ladder when it comes to power in Babylon. There were very, very few guys who were less powerful than Daniel in Babylon after this interpretation of the dream. But Daniel, being the good homie that he is, he's like, hey, you got to promote my king. Can you promote my friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego too? And he's like, you know what? We can do that. I can do that. He promotes them as well. And so here we are in Daniel chapter 3. And what you need to know is now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not just wise men now. They are actually in these positions of authority, significant positions of authority. And that matters based on what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to dive into Daniel chapter 3 now. I know it took a little bit to get there. But uh, point number one, if you guys are taking notes, is the intimidation to cave. The intimidation to cave. Pastor David talked to you guys last night about temptation versus intimidation what really is going on here in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is they are being intimidated to cave. 
What are they being intimidated to cave into? Let's dive in. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. You guys should be there. It says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. So this thing is a very big golden statue. Save your question for the end, please. Uh, I'll answer it. Just save it for the end, okay? Uh, He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So, I'm not going to repeat all of them. They all came to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that he set up. Verse 4 now. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and solitary, I think is how you say it, I might say it wrong, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be immediately cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So at the time when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So we talked about how King Nebuchadnezzar had that dream in chapter 2, and in his pride, he didn't understand the dream and really how it applied to him. Instead, he actually has this massive statue of himself built. And he says, you know what? Everybody, when you hear the music, you have to bow to the image. And in verse 6, we see that the punishment is clearly told to all the people. Everybody is aware that if they do not bow down to this big image of King Nebuchadnezzar, they will be cast into the fiery furnace, which is basically like a giant oven. So you're going to die if you are cast into that. So the music was played. All the people bowed down to the image, except for a couple of guys. You see, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and really all the Jews, honestly, who were in captivity in Babylon, to bow to the golden image would be a direct violation of what God had said. Exodus 20, verses 3 through 4, in the Ten Commandments, actually the very first two commandments, God says, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. Kind of sounds like exactly what all these Jews and really all the people, but it only mattered for the Jews because the commandments were for them. Uh, It sounds like to bow to the golden image is literally a direct violation of what is said here. And if you put yourself in the place of these Jews, you know, they're living in the midst of a culture that is so against God, a pagan culture, a culture that has no regard for the things of the Lord. I want to ask you guys, would you say that we're living in a similar culture to that? I would say that we are. And so we can relate to them. But the Jews, you guys... When this command was given that they have to bow, I wonder like how many of them were actually conflicted. Like, oh gosh, what do I do here? Like, I want to live, so I feel like I need to bow, but I know what God has said, so I don't want to bow. But we learn, according to the scriptures, that everyone but three young men bowed to the image. Now, I want to... You know, we said we're living in a culture that is very similar, right? We, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're going against the grain, you could say. We're going against the tide. It's like we're swimming upstream. And that gets tough. But it's what God has called us to do. God has called us to live a better way. And, you know, every single day, you and I, we face temptations. We face 
intimidations that are trying to get us to cave to the ways of the world. But God, you guys, he makes it clear that living for him and living for the world, they are not two things that can coexist. You cannot do both. And this is one of the great tragedies I see in a a lot of lives of Christians today is this, this weird balancing act that they're trying to do of the world and the ways of the Lord. God says it won't work. 1 John 2, 15 through 17, note it down, it's on the screen as well, says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, But he who does the will of God abides forever. And it's very important that we understand what's being said here, you guys. Because God tells us that to love the world and to live for the world is to actually not have the love of God within us. This is is a big deal. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you guys, living in this godless culture where they were just commanded basically to bow to the image or die... They could give in to what everyone around them was doing. you got to recognize, they're the only three. The only three. They could give in or they could do the will of God, understanding like what 1 John says, that he who does the will of God abides forever. You see, one might argue that because of their new positions of authority, remember, they got that promotion after Daniel's interpretation of the dream. Because of their new positions of authority, you can make an argument that this was an even more difficult for decision for them to make because, think about it. If you had a guy who's like a slave, he's working hard all day, and he's like, his life is hard. But then you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who are like living pretty good for being in captivity because of their positions of authority. Were they going to choose to hold fast in his commandments or were they going to be intimidated to cave? You know, you guys, what, what do we really have to lose to obey God? Friends, maybe, maybe the, the, what the world calls pleasure, the things that the world deems as pleasurable, status, you know, we, we sang that song, Graves to Garden. The reason why I ask you guys, like, do you believe that there is nothing better than Jesus? Who cares if you lose these things? Who cares if you lose the friends that were dragging you down in the first place? Who cares if you, you lose what the world says is pleasurable that actually leaves you more empty, the Bible says? Who cares if you lose your status? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're in these positions of power, and they're like, you know what? We're going to get into it in just a moment. But they're like, I don't care about my status. We don't read that they considered their status as positions of, the positions of power that they were in. We don't read that they considered their status not even a bit. Jesus actually says, you guys, that anything we lose for him and the sake of the gospel, we will be restored 100 times as much in this life and in the life to come, the age to come, eternal life. I would say, kind of sounds cheesy, but I completely believe it with all my heart, that anything we lose to obey God is not an L, it's a W. It's not an L, it's a W. And that is true, as cheesy as it sounds. Whatever you lose to obey God, you're obeying God. You're you're making the right choice to obey God. Whatever you lose doesn't matter. Point number two, if you are taking notes, is the choice to hold fast. And we see this in verses 8 through 18. The choice to hold fast. And by the way, my, the PowerPoints that I usually make, don't write everything down. Just write what you think is important. I put more information up there than what you need to note. 
But write down what you think is important if you are taking notes. I see some of you, like, the slide will change, and you're like, oh, no. <laughs> Just take note of what you think is important. You still in Daniel 3? Yep. All right, verse 8 says, Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who, sears, who hears, excuse me, the sound, I'm just going to say the sound of all the music, uh, shall fall down and worship the gold image. Verse 11, and whoever does not fall down and worship uh, shall be cast into the midst of a fiery furnace. So essentially, these guys are just like, hey, king, remember when you said this? Remember when you said that? That's what they're doing. Verse 12 says, there are certain Jews that you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. So essentially, they're just ratting out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the king. Verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, solitary, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hand? Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, the king, answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. And we'll stop right there for a moment. You know, so these Chaldeans, these highly influential and educated guys in the land of Babylon, they find out about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how basically these three guys, they're not bowing like the king had commanded everyone to do. No one was exempt from this order that the king gave. It didn't matter if you were the right-hand man of the king or if you were the least of all slaves in Babylon, everyone was commanded to bow. It didn't matter. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we learn that they chose not to bow. And so the king goes crazy. Like we said, he's a crazy guy. He's filled with rage and fury, and he has the three brought to him. And he basically is like, hey, guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in case you don't remember, like, this is the commandment that I gave, and this is the punishment like, you're going to be thrown in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace if you don't start bowing. He almost, like, gives them another chance here. He's like, you can start bowing, but, you know, be reminded that you're going to be thrown into a furnace if you don't start doing it. And he asked them this. It's almost funny, the question he asked them. In verse 16, he says, who is the God who is able to deliver you from my hand? That's about the most foolish, foolish question he could have possibly asked. You see, his heart was so full of pride that even though he worshipped pagan gods and worshipped probably thousands upon thousands of gods, he did not believe that there was a God that existed that was even powerful enough to save these three men from his hand. you got to keep in mind, King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't just the king of like some random small little city this is the most powerful man in the world at the time. Like easily the most powerful man in the world at that time. 
and these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're standing before the most powerful man in the world, and he is kind of almost giving them another chance to start bowing down. But what do they do? I, you know, I wonder, when King Nebuchadnezzar, excuse me, when he asked them, who is the God who is able to deliver you from my hand? I wonder what that, what was going through the minds of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that moment. What did they pray? What did they think? Or was it just like, boom, they just respond like that? Save your question. You know, people would say, well, you know, if they bowed, like they could, they could ask the Lord for forgiveness, right? If they chose to bow, they're just saving their own lives, right? Like God could forgive them, but that's not how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thought of the situation. They were going to choose to hold fast to their God and his commandments. They basically say to the king, they basically say, oh, silly king, we don't even need to answer you. Like, you're asking us all these questions. We don't even need to answer you about what you're talking about. You see the boldness it took for these guys to say that to the most powerful man in the world is immense. Because, like, he's mad. Have you ever, like, (laughs) I'm so bad. My parents used to, like, when I was a kid, they would get mad sometimes. And sometimes I just, like, I would start laughing. And if you laugh at someone who is mad at you, like, you're asking to get smacked, all right? And so it's almost like, it's almost like that, you guys. King Nebuchadnezzar, at this point, it already says he's full of wrath and fury, and he's ready to toss these guys into the furnace. And it's like, these guys are like, silly king, like, we don't even need to, what is this? It's pretty funny when you think about it. But they go on to say, they tell the king, they're like, all right, king, you know, if that's that's the punishment for not bowing to the image, so be it. We're not going to bow to you. We're not going to bow to your image. We know that the God that we serve is fully capable of delivering us from you. That's basically what they told the king. We know that the God that we serve is able and capable of delivering us from your hand, O king. Verse 18, you guys, if you want like, just like a, I don't know, a shot of boldness in your life, like, (laughs) this is such an amazing verse. Verse 18 says, but if not, this is the boldness of these three men. He says, if not, O king, let it be known to you That we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. And the way that translates out, you guys, that way that verse in verse 18 translates, is it actually means, king, we know the God we serve is able to deliver us from you. But you want to know what, king? Even if he doesn't deliver us, we're not bowing. We'll burn before we bow. I almost get chills just thinking about that. The boldness to say that you are about to die. And the boldness to say that, number one, king, we know that our God can deliver us. But king, even if he doesn't deliver us, we're not bound. It's powerful. It's powerful. They were not concerned whether they would live or die. The outcome of the situation, it didn't matter to them. They weren't going to bow. And I think we should try and put on this same mindset of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as we live in the midst of a godless culture, you guys. You see, one day, we're going to face fiery furnaces. We're going to face, as we'll learn later tonight, lion's dens. And what I mean by that, you're not going to actually, hopefully, not be thrown into a furnace. You're not actually going to be fed to lions but you're going to be faced in this life like you guys are like 12 13 14 years old you got so much life ahead of you lord willing that you are going to be faced with these moments in life where you will either bow and cave to the intimidation 
or the temptation, or you will hold fast to your God. These moments will come in your life. What will you do when they come? You see, as it didn't matter for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it shouldn't matter to us the outcome of the situation. Oh, I might lose this friend. Who cares? Hold fast to your God. Oh, I might, I don't even know. I might not, I don't, I can't even think of examples right now. It doesn't matter. You could come up with endless examples. It doesn't matter. The outcome of the situation should not be what drives you to make the decision that you make. You see, persecution or pressure, either or, it doesn't matter. It should never cause us to waver and to falter. But rather, it should embolden us even more to hold fast, to get it like, it's almost like getting a, it's a tighter grip. Like you were already holding on tightly, but have you guys like ever played like a, like tug of war or something? Like there's that moment when like your, your arms, your whole body is just like dead. And you know what you do in those moments? You can give up or you can strengthen your grip a little bit more and keep fighting. Persecution and pressure, you guys, it shouldn't be we just let go of the rope. We grab tighter with everything that we have left. You see, like we're going to learn here next, sometimes, you guys, God delivers in the way of saving lives. You're going to, we're going to, I'm spoiler alert, you probably all know the story, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they get spared. Their lives go on. Sometimes. <laughs> All right, let's bring it back. You see, sometimes God will deliver in that way. There's this story that Pastor Shadrach told uh, some time ago about um, a, a woman who was a Christian missionary, I believe in Iraq, and you have ISIS or some other terrorist group who is basically looking for missionaries, and it's like they have all of these people lined up, and you know, when you're a missionary in countries like that, you're wrapped up in a turban, you're kind of blending in. For the sake of the gospel, of course. But they have these, these people lined up and they're wearing their turbans and they're basically looking for people who have colored eyes. Because you kind of stand out if you have colored eyes in the middle of a Middle Eastern country. And so they're looking. And this lady, guess what she has? She has colored eyes. And so they have their guns drawn and they're killing people. She has blue eyes, green eyes, whatever. And she's standing in this line, and the guy walks right up to her, sees her eyes, and moves on. Now, that woman tells the account as though she believes with everything that within her, that is within her, that that man saw brown eyes. Is it possible God could do that? Absolutely. But does God always do that? The answer is no. There are persecuted Christians around the world who do die for Jesus every day at an alarming rate that you wouldn't even believe. But you see, there's times when God will deliver like that. There's times when God will deliver like he is going to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego later in this story. But what if he doesn't deliver like that? Did you guys know that deliverance does not mean only that your life is saved? You want to know the ultimate form of deliverance? Heaven, getting to go to heaven. God is always faithful to deliver. He doesn't always deliver the same way every time, but he always delivers. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they understood that God was more than capable. He had all the resources available to him to deliver them from the hand of the king, from the punishment of the fiery furnace. But they also understood God might not do that. Does it seem like it, it affected their decision at all to hold fast? It didn't. They were going to hold fast. And so our final point, you guys, is the intervention of God. Number three, the intervention of God. And we see this as verses 19 through 28. The intervention of God. You guys know what the word intervention means? Basically means where like God steps in and does something about it. 
Verse 19, look in your Bibles with me. It's also on the screens if you're following along up there. It says, then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So he was already mad, but now he's like mad, mad. It says, he spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. It was unnecessarily hotter than it needed to be. It was plenty hot to kill these guys in the first place, but he's so mad, he says, turn it up seven times more, seven times more. Verse 20, and he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. So he basically gets like the best of the best in his military. And he's like, hey, bind these guys up. You guys are going to be the ones to throw them in. Verse 21 says, then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, verse 22, because the, com- the king's command excuse me, was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the guys, the guys who had them tied up and were like pu- going to push them into the fire, they actually just burn up like they're dead, gone. Verse 23, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Verse 24. This is awesome. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And his, his boys, they basically say, True, O king. Yeah, we did. We threw three in there. Verse 25. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. It's amazing. We'll come back to that, but let's keep reading. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. The satraps, the administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were the garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. You guys ever, like, been to a campfire? You know, if you like wear a jacket, like it smells like smoke for days. These guys are in the fire, like in a actual fire, like a raging fire. And they come out, they don't even smell. Verse 28, he goes on, Nebuchadnezzar. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own God. So after, you know, these three young men, they tell the king what's up. The king, he gets full with fury, like we read, and he throws them into the furnace, which was seven times as hot. Those one guys, the mighty men of valor, they end up dying. But nonetheless, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they make it into the furnace. They're in there, and not much time goes by. The king, he looks into the opening of the furnace, and he says, wait a second. We threw three guys in there, right? Just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Why do I see a fourth? Why do I see a fourth? And he's baffled. You would be baffled too. You're like, we threw three guys in there. Number one, they're walking around like nothing's happening. Number two, there's a fourth guy in there. And it says that his appearance is as the appearance of the Son of God. You guys notice how it's capitalized in your Bible? This is what the Bible refers to as, well, not the Bible, but this is what Bible scholars refer to as a Christophany, which is the appearance of Jesus. It's amazing because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they make the decision that they're not going to bow, but that they are going to hold fast. And God, he intervenes by not only supernaturally sparing their lives, right? but also by being with them 
in the fire. You see, you guys, I want you all to look at me really quick. When we choose to hold fast to the Lord, God promises that he will be with us. You could take that one to the bank. When you hold fast to the Lord, he will be with you. He will not leave you abandoned. He will be with you, the Bible says. These are, one verse you heard last night from Pastor David, Deuteronomy 31.6. I love this verse. It says, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. And in Matthew 28, Jesus' words to his disciples, he says, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When you hold fast to the Lord, he will be with you. See, you guys, there will be an option one day that you will have to either hold fast to the Lord or cave to the ways of the world. What will you do? You know, the title of today's message was Holding Fast When No One Else Does. Bible scholars, they estimate that there were probably around 20,000 Jews in captivity at this time in Babylon. So let's say we'll work with that number 20,000 for a brief moment. I'm going to, we're going to do a little math here. Sorry to bum you out. But bear with me because it's actually pretty neat if you can just listen. So let's say there were 20,000 people, Jews. There were more people, but 20,000 Jews. That means that 19,997 Jews bowed down to the golden image. So the Bible seems to say there. This would mean that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you guys, being the only Jews not to bow, 99.985 of all the Jews, percent of all the Jews, bowed to the image, while 0.015 of a percent stood. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego We're almost done. Just bear with me here, you guys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they could have looked around, right? They could have looked around at all their fellow brethren bowing to the image and been like, wow, no one is standing. I I guess we should bow too. They didn't care. They were going to hold fast to their God no matter what. Even if they were the only three out of millions, it didn't matter. That percentage could have been whatever percentage it was. It didn't matter. They were going to hold fast to the Lord no matter what, even when no one else did. And you know, you guys, you might be the only one who's willing to hold fast to the Lord. You might be. You know, you, you, we, we are privileged to go to a great church, but some of you guys, you go to public schools, some of you guys have friend groups, baseball teams, whatever, it doesn't, so many different environments that you all live in. In those environments, there are temptations, there are intimidations. You might be the only one out of your friend group, you might be the only one out of your entire school who says, wait a second. For me to do this would be against what God says. This would be sinful for me to do. You might be the only one who is willing to hold fast. Don't answer, but just think to yourself. Will you hold fast to the Lord when no one else does? You very well might be the only one who's willing to hold fast. Will you do it? Now, I want to ask you guys in in wrapping up, when would you say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego chose to hold fast to the Lord? Just think to yourself. Just, Just think. When do you think they chose to hold fast? You see, our, our initial response would be like, oh, they chose to hold fast when they stood before the king. And they said they weren't going to bow, right? That would probably be most of our initial responses. But I would say that their decision to hold fast to the Lord 
It wasn't made at the moment that they didn't defile themselves with the king's delicacies in chapter 1. I don't think it was made standing before the king and the fiery furnace when they said they're not going to bow. I don't think that decision was made in that moment. You see, I believe with all my heart that their decision to hold fast was made when they were just boys back in Judah. Sounds like a band, boys back in Judah. But what I'm saying, you guys, is their decision to hold fast, it very likely happened at your age. It very possibly happened at the very same age that many of you are here tonight, 11, 12, 13, 14, doesn't matter. You see, our heart for this camp, you guys, our prayers for you for this camp is that this camp, look at me real fast. We are literally about to close. I want you guys to hear this. Our heart for you, this camp, is that this camp would be the moment in your life that before you get to the temptation to defile yourself with the king's delicacies or the sins of this world, whatever it may be, before you stand before a King Nebuchadnezzar or a friend group who is trying to get you to cave to the ways of the world, this camp can be a defining moment in your life that you say, before I even get to those points, I'm going to hold fast to the Lord. You can do that today. Don't hold back from what God is wanting to do in your life. There are still some of you that are holding back. Stop. Choose to hold fast. This camp can be what is called a kairos moment in your life. A kairos moment, you've probably never heard of it. I didn't know until a couple years ago what it was. It is the perfect and opportune time for something to happen. This camp in your life could be that perfect and opportune moment for you to choose to hold fast. You can look back on this day. What is it? February 12, 2022. And that be the day that you remember that you chose to hold fast. It could be your Kairos moment. For some of you last night who got saved, that was your Kairos moment. It was the perfect and opportune time. You see, you guys, in junior high, I remember it. It wasn't that, that long ago. I mean, it was a while ago for me, but I remember what it's like in junior high. And it is very frequently that we see students not taking the ownership for their own relationship with the Lord, but rather are riding the coattails of their parents' relationship with the Lord. We don't want it to be that way. We want you to today to take ownership of your relationship with the Lord. Your parents have their relationship with the Lord. And they have their relationship with you. And they are good parents if they are training you up in the ways of the Lord. You should be thankful for that. But you cannot hold on to their jacket as they go to heaven in the sense of the illustration, not literally. They're saved. They're going to go to heaven. You can't just hold on to their jacket and their relationship with God and make that all your relationship with God is. You can't just have your morning time with your parents reading the Bible be the only time that you ever talk to God, that you ever hear from his word. You can't even let Pastor Joel, myself, anyone who teaches you the Bible Sundays, Wednesdays, you can't ride their relationship into heaven. You need to take ownership of your own relationship with Jesus. You could do that today. Choose today that you will do that. Choose today that you want to take ownership of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Worship team, you guys can come on up. And I wasn't sure if I was going to you know, do this or not, but... I just kind of feel like the Lord is leading me to do this. So stay seated, you guys. Kalea, can we hit the, the four light switches down there? So 
guys, I just really like, I, I feel the Lord just leading, moving in some of your hearts that like what I was just talking about at the end there of just like the basis of your relationship with Jesus has been what your parents and only your parents have done for you in, sen- in that sense. If you, if you want to take ownership, like you just want like, you know what? Straight up, I want my relationship with the Lord to be mine. <laughs> I don't want it to be my parents' relationship with the Lord. I'm not going to have you even bow your heads and close your eyes right now. I just want you to stand up. If you want to say, I want to own my relationship with Jesus today, just stand up, honestly. Who cares? Hold fast. Like, come on. Stand up. If that's what, if that's what you feel like the Lord is speaking to you, like, you know what? man, my relationship with Jesus is all based on my parents. Let me be clear. You're not even asking to be saved right now. Like you guys are, if you're standing, you're understanding that you're already saved, but you want to own your relationship with Jesus. You need to, by the way, you absolutely need to. Let me just pray for you guys as we close. Lord, wow, you see these. You see these who are standing here, Lord, who are saying that their heart is to hold fast to you. Who are saying that, Lord, they want to take up the mantle of their own relationship with you, Jesus. Not riding the coattails of their parents or their pastors or their Christian school teachers or whoever pours into their life. Lord, they want it to be theirs. God, would you honor their decision today? Lord, we do pray that this would be the moment in their life, Lord, where before they're tempted by the ways of the world, before they are lured in with all that the world thinks it has to offer when really those things are empty. Lord, before any of that comes their way into their life, Lord, that right now, that they would choose to hold fast to you so that they would be prepared for that moment. And it would be like it was for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a no-brainer. Lord, we can lose friends. We can lose status. We can lose whatever. Lord, we are willing to lose it for you. Lord, we believe that there is nothing better than you. Pray these things in Jesus.